Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am thrilled to be back in the studio with you again. I hope you enjoyed hearing the final part of our Q&A with Frank Turk. It was a great show. We had some interruptions between that and the first part of the Q&A with Frank Turk. That was a Q&A session that was held at our recent apologetics conference, the Engage Discipleship Conference, about a month ago. I thought that it was too good not to share it with you. And today, I kind of wanted to go on from there and share another Q&A session that we did at the Engage conference with Dr. Michael Brown. You might or might not be familiar with Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Michael Brown, I think, is the leading voice on the PC issues that are driving our country off a cliff right now. When it comes to things like the LGBT movement and how Christians should respond to that, He is doing as good a job or better than anyone I know of. And it was an absolute pleasure having him participate with the Engage Apologetics Conference about a month ago. And I am thrilled to be able to share his Q&A with you here on The God Solution today. If you're interested in hearing more about Dr. Michael Brown, you can go to GodSolutionShow.com and get our past interviews with Dr. Michael Brown. You could also go to AskDrBrown.org, and that's AskDrBrown.org, AskDrBrown.org. Now, as we think about the LGBT issue and all this that has really, really taken over our nation and even the world in many different ways, I think it is absolutely important to come back to God's Word to develop our perspective of the world around us. Now, I'm not going to get into it today, but if you look at the health issues associated with these lifestyles, including lifespans and things like that, God's Word is always right, and it is always meant to protect us from things that hurt us. And if we look at all the peer-reviewed journal articles that talk about the dangers of these different lifestyles, we find very quickly that God's Word is correct and that following God's word always leads to health, it always leads to joy, it always leads to the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10. Now, without going into all the stats, that might be a great show for a different day, I want to come back to that issue. Do we believe that Jesus really offers the abundant life, or do we not believe him? Because if we believe him, then we will know that what we're called to in Scripture is for our own good. In Luke 18, we hear a story of a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus, and he thought he was pretty good, but he realized very quickly that what Jesus was calling him to was utter abandonment of all the other things that he put above Jesus. And he wasn't willing to take that step. This is something that all of us have to face. I've had gay friends before say that, oh, you don't have to give up everything like we do. 
And I respond, all Christians give up everything to follow Jesus. So whatever your issue is, whether it's an LGBT issue or something different, you're called to give it up and to follow Jesus. So all of us are called to him. All of us are called to make him first and foremost in our lives and to follow him and all that he says. And it always works out best for us when we do that. You know, I would encourage you to listen carefully as Dr. Brown unpacks some important things for us today and as we hear his Q&A that was recorded recently at the Engage Apologetics Conference. Without any further ado, here is the Q&A session with Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, well, let's get started. Um, so this is uh, Michael Brown, uh, Dr. Michael Brown, sorry. And um, uh, so I have a little bio on him I'm going to read just so you guys can get a little bit more familiar with uh, him and some of his work. So uh, Dr. Michael Brown is the president of FIRE School of Ministry and the director of the Coalition of Conscience and the host of the daily nationally syndicated uh, radio show, The Line of Fire, as well as the host of the Apologetics TV show, Answering Your Toughest Questions, which airs on NRB TV Network. Dr. Brown has preached throughout the United States and in more than 20 nations and has written 20 books on revival, holiness, radical discipleship, and Jewish-Christian issues, along with scholarly works in Old Testament and Hebrew studies. And uh, so that's the bio we had for you, uh, Dr. Michael Brown. Do you have anything you kind of want to add about who you are or maybe some uh, passions and interests you have in ministry? Sure thing, and uh, thanks for the intro. We must have sent you a, an old bio because it's, it's over 30 books in over 30 nations, but oh, wow. you know, life doesn't stand still. Um, yeah, uh, married to my wife Nancy, we'll be married 42 years uh, this month, and two kids and four grandkids ranging in age from 11 to 17. And God saved me in 1971 in the midst of the Jesus People Movement, which came on the heels of the counterculture revolution. You know, there's a, an old saying, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. And so... Uh, God saved me in 1971 as a heroin shooting, LSD using hippie rock drummer, 16 years old, got radically born again. And then as a Jewish believer, my dad said, okay, great, glad your life has changed, but we're Jews, we don't believe this. So that got me connected with the local rabbi, and he challenged me over the years, you don't even know Hebrew, and that's what got me to major in Hebrew in college, and then get my doctorate in Semitic languages, and then that got me into Old Testament scholarship and the whole world of apologetics. But... In terms of the topic at hand, I, I had always been burdened since my earliest days in the Lord to see Jesus touch people in a, in a wonderful and dramatic way, and I was burdened to see America touched with the gospel. But in terms of preaching holiness, in terms of preaching against sin, obviously as a heterosexual myself, that was, that was my focus. I don't come out of homosexuality. I never had a particular burden to focus on gay and lesbian issues over the years. And obviously my academic training is not connected with that, not connected with psychology or counseling or sexual brokenness or anything like that. So over the years, things having to do with gay activism were just not on my radar in a major way. In fact, if, if you look at my first 19 books up through around 2011, if you look at those and, and then go through every page Maybe if you if you took out quotes that touched on LGBT issues, maybe it would fill a page or two out of 19 books. 
So in other words, it was just not a major focus of life and ministry. When we relocated from New York originally, lived in Maryland, then in, in Pensacola, Florida. When we relocated from Florida to North Carolina in 2003, that's when the burden began to uh, get on my heart in terms of the need to address these things. There was a gay pride event in our city in 2004 uh, near, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I remember thinking I was overseas when it took place, but some of my, my closest friends were there trying to hand out gospel literature in the, the midst of the park. And the police actually told them they had to get out of the park. It was, it was quite remarkable. And I got really burdened. I thought, you know, here, Charlotte, North Carolina, and even though this city is a liberal conservative state, and how can this be happening? And, and then we saw uh, gay activist organizations coming into our city and getting backed by the, the, the giant banks we have here, Bank of America, then, and, and Citibank, and different things. And just the, uh, we saw this schools pushing this way. So I began to get burdened because of the issues, first and foremost, because of the changes that were being pushed uh, to normalize homosexuality and beyond. And then because I, I wanted to do things in a righteous way, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, as I began to study the issues, I wanted to understand the people better. Uh, my generation, I turned 63 this month, when we hear the word homosexuality, we think an issue. When the younger generation hears the word homosexuality, they think a person. And it's both issues and people. So as I began to meet with local gay activists to hear their story and to say, okay, I'm a believer in Jesus. We have differences here. How can we be neighbors in the same city? As I began to read more of their literature and look for opportunities to, to meet with folks that would tell me the story, those raised in the faith, those, claimed, those who claimed to be, quote, gay Christians, I got their books. I, I got books by gay theologians. And the more I read, the more my heart broke for the people. And again, we're dealing with both people and issues. And in early 2005, the Lord laid this simple word on my heart, reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion. Resist the agenda with courage. Reach out and resist. To repeat, reach out to the people with compassion Resist the agenda with courage. Put another way, we need hearts of compassion with backbones of steel. And it's essential that in this critical issue, which has become the principal threat to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience in America, it's critical as God's people, as salt and light, that we stand up in our society and make a difference. After all, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. And Martin Luther King said that the church must be reminded it's not the master of the state or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. And to me, that's what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If we don't stand, if we don't shine, if we don't declare God's purpose for marriage and family and sexuality, how is the world going to know it? That's on the one hand. On the other hand, we're talking about people for whom Jesus died, shed the same blood for gay and straight alike. Many of these folks have been raised in the faith, have felt hurt by the church. Often we've not dealt with people with compassion or understanding as if they just decided one day, well, I think I'm just going to be gay. It'll be fun to be gay. We haven't recognized the struggles they've gone through. 
or someone struggling with their own gender identity and thinking they're going to be depressed the rest of their lives, suicidal, unless they start dressing as the opposite sex, doesn't justify the behavior, but it reminds us of the need to be compassionate and caring while we take a strong stand. Many churches avoid the subject like the plague. Why? Well, once you start to address the issues, you will be vilified. You will be hated. You will be called Nazis and bigots and homophobes. Uh, every, every kind of attack will come your way on social media and beyond. You'll be stigmatized. You'll be known as the church that, that's full of hate. A lot of pastors think, why bother with this? Let's just quietly go about our business. Uh, also, many times, your average pastor is overwhelmed, busy enough. Now here's another issue to tackle. It's like, hey, I've got enough to deal with within my flock. The problem is there are folks within that flock who are struggling, maybe a kid that's same-sex attracted, maybe parents whose kid has just come out as gay, maybe folks working in the business world or the school system where these things are being addressed. Uh, maybe they're now under pressure because of Supreme Court ruling on marriage that now they have to accommodate same-sex, quote, marriage. I get asked constantly, uh, my, my relatives getting married to a same-sex partner, should I go to the wedding? These are issues we can't avoid. The problem is, again, getting properly equipped, knowing how to speak the truth in love. So what I want to do just with that as an introduction is respond to all the questions that you have whether they're biblical, theological in nature, whether they're practical or personal, uh, we'll respond to as many as we can in the time that we have allotted. So go ahead with your, your questions, and then I'll tell you at the end how you can connect with me online and take advantage of literally thousands of free resources that we have for you. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Well, thank you so much for that intro. You did a much better job than I did. Um, and uh, I, just a small plug, um, I'm, a, I'm personally like a really, really big fan of this guy. So this is a huge honor for me to be able to Skype with you, let alone uh, kind of moderate this. But one thing I love about Dr. Michael Brown is in all of his resources when he's dealing with these social issues, the idea of speaking the truth with love is, is so prevalent in what he does. And I think that's so key when you're dealing with any of this stuff is how are you still loving the individual? And so um, uh, I'm, I'm just really excited for this, so let's get into the questions. This first one um, is really long, so bear with me. Um, it says, uh, the, the topic of the question is about finding identity within Christ and God. How would you reply to a non-believer who says they can find or who says they can find identity because they know what they like, what drives them, uh, they find meaning without, within their own experiences, Therefore, they don't need a God to tell them who they are. Okay, so this is obviously a, a, a larger issue, but uh, we could ask them a few basic questions. Do you fully know your identity if you don't know where you came from? Let's say that you thought that you were the child of a king and queen, and you were actually the, the child of, of a, a serial rapist, uh, who raped a woman and kept her in captivity, and then you know later you were subsequently adopted, would that affect your your view of of who you actually were, or what if in fact you are just the product of random uh, evolutionary processes that very simply you 
uh, have no destiny. You have no specific purpose. You're just the product of freak revolution, uh, evolutionary purposes. You're just material matter. That's, that's it. Uh, your brain is just neurons firing. Would that affect your understanding of who you were? If you were just a you know, more evolved form of, a, of an amoeba, and then if you had no specific purpose or destiny, if at the end of your life that's all there is, would that affect who you are? I mean, obviously so. So uh, our worldview, our understanding of who we are is going to be radically different if we believe a God created us and brought us into this world for a purpose and that what we do in this world is going to affect things forever and that this world is just a, a, a vestibule for the world to come, as Jewish literature says. So by all means, uh, understanding who your creator is and understanding why he brought you into this earth, that makes a night and day difference in everything that we do. Awesome. All right, the next question, um, is homosexuality genetic? Are people born gay? There is no reputable scientific evidence that anyone is, quote, born gay or that there is a specific genetic cause for homosexuality. Uh, one way that you can verify this for yourself is to go to the very liberal websites of the American Psychiatric Association and the American Psychological Association. They are as pro-gay as you come. When they've had task force investigating LGBT issues, they're almost always all gay or gay activist ally, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists on the panels. Uh, it is inc even, even liberals have talked about the degree to which these organizations have shifted to be militantly pro-LGBT. And yet, on their websites, they say we don't know for sure the causes of homosexuality. It may be partly nature. It may be partly nurture. It may be partly biology. It may be partly environment. We actually don't know for sure. So when they say it, you can know that there's a reason. Any way they say it's genetic, they would. Now, we do know that there are genetic factors that could make one more susceptible to same-sex behavior. In other words, just like there are certain genetic factors that may make one person more susceptible to being violent and another person more susceptible to being very sensitive, uh, those, those are things that are correlation, not causation. Those are things that speak of being predisposed, not predestined. So it's possible, again, that there are some factors that make one person more susceptible to same-sex attraction than someone else. But there's nothing reputable that there is uh, a predestination that someone is born this way and that it's just like skin color or ethnicity and it is what it is and it can't be changed. Not only so, but if you want to say that's the case, then you have to say it with things like violence and obesity because people say, well, they've discovered a violent gene or an obesity gene. Now, there are even some scientists a few years ago said that they've discovered an adultery gene. So men, try that one out. You know, commit adultery and tell your wife, oh, look, I just have an adultery gene. So, so no one accepts that notion in terms of predetermined behavior. And from a theological viewpoint, we have no problem with someone being born gay because we're born in sin and we need to be born again. But purely from a reputable scientific viewpoint, no, there is no definitive evidence that anyone is born gay or that homosexuality is genetic.
Awesome. I love I love that you bring it back to the issue of we're all born sinful, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love that. All right, the next question, um, it says, does it say specifically that there's anything wrong with being LGBT in the Bible? What, what Scripture speaks of explicitly is actions and behaviors and deeds. In other words, the scriptural issue is not a matter of what is someone struggling with. The issue is, what are you acting on? So the Bible explicitly forbids homosexual behavior. It forbids a man being with a man or a woman being with a woman. It does say that this is contrary to nature, so contrary to the way that God designed us. Uh, It also establishes that marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life. So this is also God's idea laid out in Scripture, which is then reinforced by Jesus himself in the New Testament. So marriage is defined as one man, one woman for life. There is not a single positive reference to a homosexual relationship anywhere in the Bible. All references to homosexual practice are decidedly and exclusively negative. And we also know in the Genesis account, Genesis 1 and 2, that God made the human race male and female, and then he made Eve as the suitable helper for Adam, because only together could they be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he designed us for heterosexuality. All references to homosexual practice in the Bible are decidedly negative, and we are told specifically that it is sinful and detestable in his sight to engage in homosexual actions. So clearly laid out at the same time when Paul gives a list of sins in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, he lists numerous sins, adultery, fornication, homosexual practice, and says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says in verse 11, and that's what some of you were. So there is mercy and redemption for all the same way. And if someone who's been practicing homosexuality for many years come to, comes to faith, it doesn't mean that automatically their attractions and desires will change. It does mean that their relationship with God will become real and that their behavior will change. But just like a, a single guy in his 20s or a married man in his 40s may have to watch his thought life, even though one is married, one is single, and, and God's ordained heterosexual relations – Uh, Anything outside of marriage is still sinful. So the single guy, he has to watch his thoughts and and his actions. The married guy has to watch his thoughts and his actions. So someone that gets saved and is same-sex attracted, they may still be same-sex attracted. They have to watch their thoughts and their actions. But by God's grace, even those attractions can potentially change over time or instantly. Awesome. I'm going to tag onto this with a a question of my own that I is – I hear a lot. um, I work with college students a lot, and so I hear this kind of uh, response quite a bit. And this is something that a lot of um, these uh, very liberal theologians, some of them even are um, uh, LGBT themselves, will come in and say, um, well, what does the Bible say about uh, committed same-sex relationships? You know, because a a lot of the times it'll, you know, it'll come back to this idea of, Well, when the Bible's talking about it in a negative light, it's these non-committed, you know, non, you know, um, kind of like binary couples. But what does the Bible say about committed homosexual relations? 
Right. So let's break it down on a few levels. Number one, if the act itself is called detestable and contrary to nature, then doing it over and over with the same person doesn't make it holy. All right. So if something is sinful and wrong in God's sight by its very nature, doing it repeatedly with someone that you love doesn't redeem it or make it good. That's number one. Number two we see that the pattern for marriage and family is exclusively heterosexual. If we're asking, what does God say? Well, he says, children, honor your father and mother. In a gay family, who's the father, who's the mother? You say, yeah, but there are some single-parent families. Exactly, something is missing. We recognize that there's a deficit, there's something is missing, but we don't change the fundamental order. When Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands, who's the husband and who's the wife in a same-sex relationship? It doesn't fit the design. Uh, Let's take this even further. Uh, Let's think about now uh, Jesus' ministry on the earth. It tells us in John 2, 24 and 25, that he didn't need any person to tell him about other people because he knew what was in the heart of men. He knew all men. That means that as Jesus met people who were same-sex attracted, he knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was going on, and yet he never said anything to reinforce anything positive to them. Rather, through the Gospels, he reinforced the moral standards of the Torah. Through the Gospels, he said that all sin committed outside of marriage, uh, all sexual acts committed outside of marriage are sinful. And he reiterated that marriage is the union of one man and one woman, for life. So Jesus himself, who knew what was in the hearts of human beings, uh, did not say, hey, I understand you're struggling with same-sex attraction. No, he preached the same standards that God had always laid out. Also, it's interesting that you can make a good case that, say, Paul, living in the Greco-Roman world, was familiar with all kinds of sexual relationships, just like we are today. In other words, he was familiar with heterosexual promiscuity, He was familiar with homosexual promiscuity. He was familiar with long-term heterosexual relationships. He was familiar with short-term heterosexual relationships, long-term homosexual relationships. He was familiar with all those different things because they were common in his world. And you have someone like Nero getting, quote, married to his partner. You have ancient Jewish literature that may have been extant in Jesus' day that talks about one reason God destroyed the earth with the flood is that men were entering into marriage contracts with other men. So it could well be that the biblical authors actually were exposed to long-term same-sex relationships and even, quote, same-sex marriages, and yet they categorically spoke against them. So uh, that is an argument from silence that fails on every point and should never be used again by gay activists. It's just a council of despair. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I I never thought about it that way, thinking of Paul— you know, being in Rome, and we all know that the Roman culture isn't uh, too much different than ours today in terms of uh, depravity and stuff like that, that he was probably very familiar with exactly what that stuff is. So I I like that. Well, that was just the first part of our Q&A with Dr. Michael Brown, and I am so glad that you were able to listen to it. Definitely tune back in next week for the second part of the Q&A with Dr. Michael Brown on LGBT issues and other social issues. It'll be very, very important. You can get 
More from him at askdrbrown.org. That's askdrbrown.org. And I would encourage you to pick up some of his books. Three on these issues that are awesome are A Queer Thing Happened to America, Can You Be Gay and Christian, and Outlasting the Gay Revolution. That third one is absolutely critical, I believe. You guys, it all comes down to this, love versus tolerance. As Christians, we're called to more than just tolerating. We're called to loving. So even when we encounter people that think very differently than us, let's love them with the love of God. And let's speak the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4.15. Now, talking about God's love, we come back to the gospel. See, Jesus promised us eternal life if we will believe in him. Whatever the pleasures this world might have to offer, none of them compare with eternity in heaven. So whatever your issue is, I beg you today to bring it to Jesus, to say, Jesus, you're Lord, and I'm going to believe in you and follow you with all my heart and soul. If you're ready to take that step of faith today, you could even verbalize that to God in prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Today, I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for coming into my life and making me the kind of person that you want me to be. If you took that step for the first time today, I beg you to get plugged into a Bible-believing church and to trust God with your growth and to continue growing with him. And if you already are a believer, take some of the things that you heard today and share them with your friends. We need Christians to stand up in the truth and in love right now in our culture. I hope that you'll be that person that'll do just that. Thank you so much for listening. Please share the God Solution with your friends. You can send them to godsolutionshow.com or just invite them to listen every week at the same station that you listen to. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.